Hi, y'all. It's Angela, and I'm back for another episode of Business Unveiled. And I'm so excited today because I am chatting with one of my very good friends that I met in EO and the entrepreneur organization that I'm in. And she is a freaking badass business owner. She knows all about rising from ashes to like literally getting herself up with a smile and like dusting herself off. Like that's just kind of the best way to describe her. She is a serial entrepreneur. She's a mom of two. She's the co-founder and CEO of Rep Interactive, which it's a video marketing agency, which those of you who know me, my heart is all into video because it's how I get my message out there. Even though I love podcasting as much as I love podcasting, I actually love video a little bit more just because you can see the person's face and the stuff that Rep Interactive captures and some of the videos that I've seen and how they market some of these luxury brands is incredible. Like you should just go to the website and watch the videos. Like they're so cool. Um, but Rep Interactive, they have offices across the United States and they really are there to help businesses engage their new clients and really just strengthen brand awareness. So it's not always about like sell, sell, sell with video. Again, it's just being aware of a brand and how that brand is being perceived by a consumer because an image and your brand, two different things. And she's just, she's come such a long way from, again, like being on welfare and living in public housing all the way to being named number eight on Forbes magazine, top entrepreneurial families, which is just incredible. It's like, how do you even do that? So I'm excited to bring on Judy Katina. How are you, Judy? I'm awesome. Thanks for the generous introduction. <laughs> of course. I'm so excited for you to share your story today because I know some people that are especially in video and especially in the production world. They grew up around production. They are used to being around $30,000 and $50,000 and $100,000 cameras and lens. And But you didn't really like grow up clearly in the production world. And so before we even talk about Rep Interactive and how you got started in the production world, take us back to like your journey and where you grew up. And clearly, how you grew up probably wasn't the best of the best, but you made it work. And how have you gotten to where you are today? Because I know you haven't always been in production. I know these things because they're friends. <laughs> but <laughs> for our listeners, like take us down memory lane. <laughs> Welcome to Business Unveiled, the podcast designed to help you thrive in the creative community. Here's your host, events and productivity consultant, Angela Profit. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Business Unveiled, expert tips and secrets from top creative industry professionals, where we take you behind the scenes of our past experiences in the creative industry and share with you what we have learned from them and how they have made us stronger. This podcast will help you grow a productive and profitable business to launch you into success within the creative industry. Today's podcast is being brought to you by one of my favorite platforms, Kajabi. So stop trading your time for money. Kajabi provides digital entrepreneurs an all-in-one platform which enables you to create a life of freedom on your terms. Everything is housed under one platform. So there's really no need for multiple services. Kajabi really has all of the tools that you need in one place if you're looking for a home to share your knowledge and build online courses. You have a community of like-minded people with proven success in selling knowledge online and the support with Kajabi is amazing. Give it a try today bit.ly slash AP Kajabi. Yeah, so uh, believe it or not, I actually grew up somewhat around the entertainment industry. 
I grew up in a place called Encino, California, and I used to babysit for Aretha Franklin. That's a fun oh. fact a lot of people didn't know about me. Cool. Um, yeah, so I grew up uh, around uh, David Cassidy and a lot of those, uh, the Partridge Family kids. Uh, so I did, believe it or not, okay. grow up uh, around music and entertainment. Um, but I was a rebel, so my parents got divorced very early when I was in my teens, and I was just unbelievably rebellious, running wild, you know, partying, doing drugs, doing lots of things I shouldn't have been doing. Um, yeah, so I ran away at age 16 um, and actually was homeless for a while. I was living on the beach and uh, not living a very good lifestyle. Um, so that was like the beginning of me experiencing being like really poor and having nothing. Um, I was on my own and I had run away. So I really didn't have any money or, um, shelter. So that was when I really learned about like grit and taking care of myself and that not everything gets handed to you, but, uh, a lot of times you have to work really hard to kind of pull yourself up out of the proverbial ashes, so to speak. Um, so at age 19, I got pregnant with my son, Stephen, um, and we were living in public housing. And um, I was just at that point starting to figure out that life wasn't all about me, that I had another human being to take care of. And that I needed to stop being, um, being like a shithead, basically. <laughs> that I had to get myself together because yeah. I had this other life I was now responsible for. So that's when I got really focused, um, was after the birth of my son. And I would take my son to daycare at like 5 a.m., in the mornings to go to a job because I wanted to get off of welfare and I wanted him to be proud of me and have him to have somebody he could really, you know, look up to. Yeah. Um, so that was the beginning of me um, pulling myself out of um, the handout situation where I was getting welfare and getting public housing. Um, so the first company that I worked for uh, was a computer supply company. And I worked for them for several years. I became their top salesperson in the first year uh, that I worked wow. there. Yeah, I got <laughs> off of welfare, I think, within like six months. Um, and I no longer qualified for public housing because I started making a lot of money. Um, I was taking him to daycare every day at 5 a.m. And I decided that I needed to be more present. There's more yeah. than just working for somebody. And if I could start my own business, I could be around for my kids. Right. So that was like critical for me. Um, I then but how did you even know what to start? I mean, I read a lot of books. I didn't really have a lot of mentors. So I read a lot of books. And actually, I re read a book um, from this guy. I don't, you probably have heard of him. He's an, he was an older guy. His name was Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Yeah, he was a sales guy. And I yeah. read this book. And the book was called See You at the Top. And it was, it talked a lot about like excuses that we have for like not doing well and how we kind of get in our own way. And yep. it was really inspirational to me. And I think that was like the first time I had read a book where I thought, wow, like I can kind of decide what I want in my life and I don't have to work for another company I can take it upon myself to think of a business where there's a need in the market and just go for it and kind of like design my own life. So when I had been working for this computer supply company, I had clients constantly asking me for other product offerings and I would go to my bosses and I would say, Hey, like this company wants all of these other products. Can we get these? And they're like, oh, no, we don't do that. We just do printer ribbons and toner. That's what I was selling at the time. 
And I'm like, but they need all these other things. They need paper rolls and they need other consumables. Like, why don't we provide it all? No, that's not what we do. Okay. So that was like a spark in my mind about like, what's that first company going to be? And so what I decided was that first company would be a company that carried all of these products where I could be a manufacturer's representative and not just represent one type of product. So gotcha. I approached a company called NCR and I said, and there they made paper rules, you know, like when you sign your credit card receipt. Okay. Um, so I asked the sales rep there if she would be willing to go on uh, sales calls with me to these big casinos and big brands like Burlington Coat Factory. And I just said, like, I don't really know a lot about your product. I don't know how to sell your product, but I'll get the meeting. And if you could come with me and sell in your product, I will roll up my sleeves. I'll listen. I'll see exactly what you're doing. And then I won't need you to come with me anymore. And I'll sell your products. So that's exactly what we did. So we were selling to the big casinos in Vegas, like the Monte Carlo, the MGM Grand, Caesars. Wow. Um, yeah. So um, I also landed, uh, we had landed Burlington Coat Factory as well. Uh, I had hired a sales rep and she landed that. Um, so we were selling to all their stores, all their paper, all their ribbons, all their toner, and any other um, office supply they needed at that time. Um, so that was my first company. And uh, I was able to work from home. I ended up hiring a bunch of salespeople and ran my business out of my house. I was home with my son. I was home with my then daughter because I had a daughter. Um, and I was able to go to their soccer games and, you know, provide them with um, things like private school, which yeah. obviously on welfare I couldn't afford. Right. So, so that was really important to me. So how long did you have, I mean, you were young, so yeah. you had two kids and then you, how long did you have that company before you knew like, okay, I'm actually going to go into production. I have a feeling that it was like somebody came to you and asked you for help maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, so, okay. First things first. That company was a great company. It gave me millions of dollars. It allowed me to raise my kids um, and be at home. So that's the first thing. The second thing is technology came into play. People like Office Depot and Office Max, you know, started their company. Yeah. And they had lots of money so they could build these big elaborate websites. They were direct to the manufacturers. And so that kind of was like the writing on the wall for my first company that it wasn't going to be in existence much longer. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that. Um, and then to answer your next question, um, my son came to me, he was going to the university of Southern California. He was playing football um, and he was getting his master's degree in marketing. Um, he came to me and said, mom, you're an entrepreneur. Um, I need an idea for uh, my professor. They've given us a, an assignment, which is to create a business that fills a need in the market where you could make money and have like a really great job that you loved. He's like, I know you have an idea in there. I need you to give it to me. So I gave him what was a spark of an idea. I said to him, Steve, I have this vacation rental in Park City, Utah. And I happen to need a video for it. There's this new thing called YouTube. And if you and one of your uh, marketing guys and grabbed a guy from film school and went out and filmed this, you could make a couple hundred dollars. You could go snowboarding and it would be really great. Yeah. So that was the idea. That was the spark. So my son actually took that and ran with it. He thought he thinks so much bigger than I do. Um, but he thought, well, what if we created videos for this new thing called YouTube, but they were actually for like businesses as well. Like I'm sure businesses need like professional quality videos for this new platform. And so that was 
the expansion of Rep Interactive. So early on, my goal with him was really just to mentor him a little bit and uh, help him launch this company so he could get entrepreneurial experience. Oh my gosh. I had no yeah. idea <laughs> like yeah. how this all happened. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy, right? Like, cause I didn't have any production background. I knew about businesses. I knew about partnerships. I knew how to put pieces together. Um, but I didn't know anything about film or um, really working with creatives too. I mean, that's a whole different ball game because mm -hmm. I'm super analytical. So you know, working with creatives is very different. Yeah, totally different. So yeah. then, so when this like jumped off, like how did you and your son decide like, oh, we're going to go into business together? And how did you start hiring people? And then how did you start getting clients? <laughs> he asked me, mom, how do I start a business? And I gave him like, the step by step, like you got to get a business permit and yep. you got to incorporate. And now, oh, okay. I did not think this company was doing anything. <laughs> I just wanted him to get the lesson that nobody works for free. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't like super optimistic. I mean, I am optimistic, but I wasn't like, oh, this is going to become a multi million dollar company. It was more like, this is an entrepreneurial lesson I want my son to learn. Yeah. So I helped him. He asked me just to help him like five hours a week. So I said, that's fine. He gave me a percentage of the company. And then it was like, oh, well, I actually need you like 10 hours a week now. <laughs> and then it was like 20. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have this other company over here that I'm running. Uh -huh. I can help you, but you'll have to give me a bigger percentage in the company. So he did. And he brought me on as president. And um, I worked for free for a really long time, um, <laughs> helping him build this company. But again, behind the scenes, my interest was really in just helping him become an entrepreneur yeah. because I knew he would be great. And I knew that he was 10 times smarter than me. So with a little bit of coaching, he would just pass me right up and, and go out and have his entrepreneurial career. Um, so that's how we got into business. So how did y'all get clients? Like, I mean, did he, did, did he hustle and get clients and he kept adding more and more? And then that's when he's like, mom, I need more hours from you kind of thing. No, I think it was more me hustling and getting him <laughs> clients and then him needing more hours. But he also did something really brilliant. He created the concept for a show called the world's most expensive homes. Okay. And that was his master's thesis. And so he created the show. He bootstrapped and, and found all of these resources to get like a free helicopter to shoot aerial footage. Oh my gosh. He recruited like one of the top real estate agents in Beverly Hills to uh, host the episode. And the guy was great. I mean, Steve had made like I don't know, a hundred phone calls to real estate agents saying, Hey, like I'm a student, I need help with my master's thesis. And Hey, could you call me back? Cause I really need you to host my show. And yeah. nobody called him back, but this one guy, Christoph Chu, um, called him back and he ended up being the host, but he was a, a, a big part of the launch of our company. So he created that episode, uh, the world's most expensive homes, and Christoph Chu just happened to be a Coldwell Banker uh, luxury real estate agent in Beverly Hills. Okay. And so once we launched that episode, it got well over a million views. Uh, I think it's still on YouTube today. And um, once we launched that, Coldwell Banker saw it and they came calling. So that oh, was like our first really big relationship. I mean, we had done some other work with uh, like Coldwell or um, Richard Ellis commercial, CBRE. Um, we had some boutique hotels that we were doing content for. Uh, but Coldwell Banker was really our first big client. And they, even to this day, they, they teach us so much. They have such an incredible marketing team. And, and we've learned so much about strategy 
and marketing from them, from their corporate team. They're amazing. And there's a guy there uh, that we work with. His name's David. He's actually the CMO and he's just been incredibly supportive of our company. That is so awesome. So you really, I mean, you guys do videos for, I mean, when, when we first met, like I was telling you how somehow I did this wedding on some private island. I didn't even know it existed. And then I like was started to get invited to all these private islands to like plan these luxury weddings. I'm like, how the hell did I end up here? But it's like, you do one thing and you do one thing right and you're nice to people and, and the people at Jumbie Bay, which was the first private island I ever worked on, which I still work with them today, 10 years later, it's like, they're like, oh my God, you're not crazy. Like some of the wedding planners we work with, they're like bitches and you're like nice and you like know what you're doing. And so like one of the videos that you had done for private island, I was like, oh my God, I've been there when it first opened. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it's, and people are like, how do you even get to know these people, but it sounds like doing, having one good person who loves your product. And I know you guys do a ton in luxury real estate. And is that the main thing that Rep Interactive focuses on? Or are there other brands outside of real estate that you all do promotional videos for? Oh yeah, that was that's like our original client, but we've absolutely uh, morphed and grown. And I mean, we work with Boeing, we work with Red Bull, uh, we work with the National Institute of Health. We've done work with Amgen. The list goes on and on yeah. of the Fortune 100. Um, so we work with billion-dollar brands now. Um, and one of the big keys there, getting it to that level, was really hiring spectacular people. So one thing we were really able to bring to these big corporations um, was bringing Hollywood quality content to a corporation because it used to be that corporate videos felt very cold and weren't engaging and you didn't really realize, you saw it as a big corporation, but you didn't realize that There's people behind that corporation Mm -hmm. and there are real stories about real people that work for these corporations. And so being able to tell stories about these companies that humanize them is incredible. And so we're able to do that because we have unbelievably talented people that work for our company. And that's where the creatives come in. Like I mentioned to you that. I'm very analytical and I didn't really know about working with creatives. And so to have a staff of creatives as well as, you know, having account managers that understand business of objectives and, you know, we really become an extension of our client's team. So we need not only the creative and storytelling side of things, but we also need the business objectives side of things where we can look at what their goals are and then align that in a way that's relatable uh, for our clients. Which is huge because it sounds, I think when we both started our business, like social media didn't exist. It, it didn't for me and, it, and YouTube was so new for you all. And so humanizing social media and humanizing the internet and the content has been so huge and over the years, like some of the different brands that we've had the opportunity to work with, it's like feature your people. Like, I mean, it's not about like celebrities and people in the public eye all the time. Like feature your people, like real relatable people, which it's like, it's cool to do that now. (laughs) So I'm like glad, but it's like you guys were on the front of that before brands really started to adopt that because now a lot of campaigns are done around people, but without the people, we wouldn't have these great companies, you know? So that's, yeah, that's really true. And I mean, you have brand evangelists because they feel some kind of connection to a company and a big area for us. And I would say like our strongest suit is like docu style storytelling so it really engages uh, the hearts and minds of the viewers to be able to connect with uh, whatever that content is that they're watching. 
Yeah. So what is, like, I know that you guys have worked incredibly diligently, like hiring the right people and creating this team culture. Like, what are some of the things that have helped you really create that whole culture of, hey, I want to work with Rep Interactive? Like, how did you do that? Well, there's something really interesting if you get like 10 layers deep. One of our biggest core values in our company is to delight our customers. And it's not just delight them once, it's delight them every time. And so that is like a tall order, right? To go in and to have the people that you work with be super pumped on your company and happy with the quality of the content and to have an awesome experience. That's a tall order. And so in order to do something like that, you have to be, you have to have extremely dedicated people who are happy and passionate about what they're doing. And I hate to throw around these buzzwords, but it's true. If you want to delight your customers, then you have to delight your employees and the people that work within your company. So for me, um, something that's been really important to me is really, really knowing the people that work at our company and knowing what like makes them happy and what's happening in their lives and what drives them. Like, what are their needs? Like, so one of the guys that works at our company is in uh, post-production. He's our head of post-production, Ryan. Uh, We hired him straight out of college. He went to USC film school and he came in and you know he he started at the bottom uh but Ryan just bought you know a house in New Jersey which is where one of our offices is he's gotten married he's had a baby like it's really important to him that he has flexibility in his career it's mm-hmm. really important to him that he provides a stable environment for his family it's really important to him that he can create and not worry about all these other things that are happening in his life. So what does that mean uh, for me? That means that I need to give him some kind of stability. If he's wanting to buy a house, I need to help him find a way that he can do that. Now it's not my job to take on the responsibility of buying his house, but if I can help him to make sure that happens, I'm all in because I know that's important to him. So it's just things like that um, that I think shape our culture. Yeah. And anybody on our team knows they can call me if they have an issue. Now that doesn't mean call me for all the <laughs> minutia or little stuff that you can figure out yourself. Yeah. We have a company of self-starters. Like we have, that's our culture. We're self-starters. We're going to try to figure it out which is really great. Yeah. So like along while you're building this company with your son and working with family, how has that been? Has it always been good? Do you all get get along? Like what does your experience share from working with your son? I mean, it is tough, let me tell you. And he is tough. I love my son, but he is a rock star in business. And working for him was a huge lesson for me because we switch roles. I was the parent before and I came into his company that he started and he was a CEO and I was the president. So guess who trumps me? My Uh son. Uh So that was a massive shift. And I had a tendency to want to tell him how he should do things. And I had to like really step back from that and let him figure out how to do things and then be there as a support for him if he needed guidance or if he asked me for my opinion. Like I can't, we can't be in a board meeting and I can't say, I don't like your idea, go to your room. Like that doesn't work. Right. So that was an interesting and challenging experience and he has sold his shares he had sold um, his shares in our company and actually went on to run an aviation company that had like 60 employees 
And then he left that company and started a new company called Prey.com. It's P-R-A-Y.com. Um, various uh, shows. Uh, they have chat uh, applications. They have, uh, like, so pre- awesome. think about PrayPal. You could tie through the app, so donate money. Oh, my gosh. PrayPal? Like, PayPal? That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope I don't get them in trouble. They haven't officially <laughs> trademarked that. That was something I made up. But, um, but yeah, it. it's just incredible, and he's changing the world. So wow. I'm so proud of him. And he doesn't have to work with his mom, and he, you know, which is awesome. <laughs> He has investors now instead. I think they're a lot tougher than I am, actually. Right. So maybe, maybe that was a good exercise about dealing with someone difficult by starting with me. But you have kept this production company. And even though you guys started in California and in Beverly Hills, and you have expanded it and worked with people all over the world, and I know that you just opened up a Nashville office. So what actually brought you to Nashville? Like, how did you get from West Coast all the way to the South? Yeah, so that was another, like, challenging time in my life. I came to Nashville for a baby shower. I was in the midst of a divorce. <laughs> I had been married for 28 years. Oh I came gosh. here, and I saw the city, and I heard a saying recently, I think it was like sky cranes and cowboy boots. And I kind of laughed about it because I knew that tech was big here, healthcare, hospitality, education. So obviously we're not just uh, sky cranes and cowboy boots. Right. But I I could see the explosive growth that was happening here. And so I'd come for this baby shower, going through a divorce, and I could just feel it in my bones that I was supposed to be here, not only for the opportunities and the excitement that I was seeing happening within the city, um, but just my gut, my instincts told me I was supposed to be here. So I went back to California and I told our LA staff, hey, guess what? I'm moving to Nashville and don't worry because it's going to be really great and we're going to video chat all the time. So try not to be too freaked out about it. And I'm sure you're all going to do great. And I picked up and I moved to Nashville. Oh my God. Did they flip out? They flipped out. They were like, she's going through a divorce. She's having midlife crisis. Like (laughs) are our jobs in jeopardy? And funny enough, I started a process called Traction at that time, which was the book, you know, Traction written by Gino Wickman. And it talked about getting the right people in the right seats. And so I went through the traction process and actually eliminated a lot of our staff in California um, that was not, it was like not the right people in the right seats or they eliminated themselves uh, because we started having lots of accountability and um, we had these weekly meetings where we would talk about what people were doing. And so the people who weren't self-starters and weren't actually like doing their work. They were just like surfing on social media or just like kind of punching a clock. All of those people went away. And what I was left with was the really passionate, like driven um, self-starters. So moving to Nashville actually turned out to be an awesome thing. And then the staff at my East Coast office, I mean, they were They've always been amazing. Um, So I didn't lose anyone from the East Coast. Um, They all stayed. And um, so our team now is comprised of some West Coast people, some Nashville people, and some East Coast people. Gotcha. And then we work globally. Yeah, like good diversity, right? So in like growing and working all over the place, like what are some, which I don't love the word mistakes. I like to say opportunities, but like, what's one of the biggest mistakes that you feel like in growing and moving and moving and shaking and like, what's one of the biggest mistakes you've made? 
if any. I mean, I had a, I, I told you this before, but obviously the audience doesn't know, but I had a huge hiring mistake. Um, I hired somebody on the West Coast. Actually, somebody from my team hired them. And that person was not a good fit for our company. Um, they didn't fit with our culture. And they turned out to be a complete disaster. Um, but my mistake in that was not only hire a bad hire, because that happens, like we just expect that in business. But my biggest mistake was I didn't follow my gut. And when I had met this person a couple times, I had a really bad feeling about them, like goosebumps and hair standing up on my arms. But I ignored my gut uh, because I had such an outstanding um, rising star in my company uh, in California that was overwhelmed with work. And he basically needed an assistant or somebody to kind of plug the holes so that he wasn't uh, completely overworked because we had a lot of work at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I let him hire this person and my gut told me this person is not something about him isn't right. Mm -hmm. That was one of my big mistakes. And I'm really learning that after uh, being an entrepreneur now for uh, since I was 25 years old, so yeah. 28 years, do the math. I hope, I guess I just gave away my age. <laughs> it's uh, all that experience. <laughs> yeah, but there's all that experience and I've learned that I need to trust my gut. Yeah. Like I, I have experience, I have seen a lot and I need to trust that I'm a great leader and that my, my gut is right and just to follow it. Yeah. Seriously. So like, what is next for your company? Like you have big, exciting things like coming up. Yeah. So I'm here in Nashville. We don't officially launch till 2020. So that's really exciting. Um, we are also going through a rebrand. So Rep Interactive will become Rep Digital. Um, we have lots of exciting things happen happening. Um, when we did that traction process, we looked not only at the video and marketing side of things that we're creating, but what other uh, services could we offer? Uh, much like my first company, uh, starting that and having an expanded uh, offering of products, uh, the same thing is happening here with Rep Interactive. So some of the products that we'll be offering, they're all based around video because that's who we are at our essence. That's what we do yeah. is we create content. We tell stories and video will always be our core um, function, but things around video that we are doing are things like digital asset management. So mm -hmm. you create all these con all this content or big companies do. Um, so having a library of content, um, having libraries of content for our clients. So we spend lots of money creating content, mm -hmm. um, being able to reuse and repurpose that content for various platforms and multiple languages is really important. So we have a digital asset management library where we take not only the content we've created, but content they their marketing departments have created and other assets that they have. We go in, we tag it, we sort it, um, and then we store it so that they can easily access it uh, for future reference. Um, so we're doing that. Um, and then we're also doing things to help them with their branding. And we, we actually just went through an exercise with uh, Century 21 Real Estate where they had a huge rebrand. Um, and we're doing the same thing now with Coldwell Banker as well. So um, helping them with their rebranding. So there's lots of stuff that we have going on, uh, not only this year, but in 2020 as well. And then we'll continue to focus on the growth of healthcare uh, verticals, um, as well as franchise businesses and manufacturing, which are all areas that we're strong in. Yeah. So what are, what's some... 
I guess like feedback. So if somebody wants to use video as a lead magnet or um, to create content, like what's one of the biggest mistakes that you see people do when they start to incorporate video into their brand? Like what are some things that you're like, ah, don't do this, do this. Like, do you ever yeah. have those moments? <laughs> I mean, we're perfectionists. So first and foremost is preparation. Like people think that video companies just lift up a camera, hit record and create content, but that's not actually true. We do know like almost all of our work is one in the prep. So knowing ahead of time, what are your goals and objectives? Who do you want to reach? You know, how do you reach those people? Uh, what's important to them? Why do they care? Why do they even want to watch your, you know, 30 second or 60 second video? I mean, cause there's so much content like bombarding us on a daily basis. Like, why do I even want to watch some corporations video? Right? So first thing is prep, having a great story that's engaging um, knowing what platforms you're using it on, like, are you using this on Facebook? Are you using it on Instagram? Is this being emailed out? Like, wh- who's your audience and where is it going? And then really just preparing to make sure that you have all of the formats necessary. Um, you know, maybe you're going to do this in multiple languages. So thinking about who do you service? Like, who's watching the video? I mean, do you have people that are Spanish watching it? Do you have people like what, you know, there's so much of that to think about before you ever turn on the camera button um, and hit record. Uh, So for me, it's preparation. And then when you finally do all of the uh, possible prep that you can do from uh, story to logistics, to figuring out the makeup, to whatever that is, if especially if you're planning to create the content in-house, really just um, doing the prep. And then if you want a professional company like ours, like that's something we're automatically going to walk you through. So if we have like a new company, an emerging brand that really hasn't dabbled in video too much and they hire us, then we're going to automatically walk them through all of the proper uh, preparation and figuring out what they want to convey. But sometimes in-house teams will just do their content as well. And if it's a seasoned marketing person, they know all of this. If they're new, I would say scour the internet for uh, great tips and advice on making an awesome video. Yeah, because it's it's not that easy. I mean, for those of us who make content on our iPhones and then – you know, I teach people how to use their smartphone and create content. Like if you're a really small new brand, it's like, if you have a valuable message, like just get the stuff out there. But obviously when you are a huge brand and you have millions of eyes on your brand, you've got to hire a professional. Like you can't just be running around with your iPhone. (laughs) Um, But even if you are doing it on your iPhone, like Judy said, you still have to plan for that. Like still sitting down and having a strategy day on thinking about what are you going to say. And like we recently worked together on a video for a conference that we're a part of in 2020 And Ryan actually, who works with you, like did this storyboard and so much of it went into the prep of making sure that everybody on the board was cool with it. And then even after the first run, you know, people come back and say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? Have you ever had any clients where they're like, can you edit this and keep going with this and keep going this? And you're like, you guys just keep doing it and billing them? Or do you finally put your foot down and say, no, we're not doing this because it's going to devalue the product and here's why? Or do you just do whatever they ask oh, you? Oh, no. Do? Oh, no. <laughs> We've had to put our foot down many times. Um, I had a gal that I worked with out of New York who was a marketing person. She worked for an ad agency and 
we, we always storyboard everything out and, you know, we have the client sign off on everything. And of course, like sometimes, you know, you'll get a last minute idea or change, which isn't a bit, uh, big deal. Um, usually, you know, small changes can be made, but when you're trying to make radical changes on set to completely change the message, and that pretty much puts all our prep out the window, it just, it doesn't work. And sometimes you have to have those tough talks with clients where it's like, we can reschedule the shoot, but right now you're changing everything and none of this was planned for. So I hate to pull out a contract and say to the client, look, here's where you signed off in 12 different places. Um, but if I think that it's just going to end up being a disaster and, I, and they're not getting it, then I might have to do that. And that is probably either a super inexperienced client or um, we just don't want to work with them because they're, they can't figure out what the message is that they want to convey. They're all over the place. So we've had to fire clients before. Um, and, you know, if we feel like it's going to be, if we're going to create something that damages their brand, mm -hmm. it damages our brand too. And yeah. we don't want that. So at that point, we have to bow out gracefully and say, you know, maybe we're not the right, right, you know, uh, production company for you. It's Thank not you. a good fit. Yeah. And not that it feels good to have to do that, but oh, it's sometimes... Awful. Yeah. I mean, you just have to do it. And uh, do you remember the first time you had to do it? Like were you sick to your stomach? I was. <laughs> it was awful. And the person that I had to have that conversation with, I, I won't mention names, but she was a senator's daughter and she was used to getting her way. Mm -hmm. And it was a tough conversation, but at the end of the day, I knew we weren't going to be able to salvage the product or project. And it would not only be damaging to her, but damaging to us as well. So, and even like with new clients that come to us, if we don't think we're going to add value to their brand, we're not going to work with them. Like, because again, it goes back to if we're doing a disservice, to their brand it's a disservice to our brand absolutely so it's a two-way street like um and then we want to work with people that are super excited about what they're doing and have some sort of vision or at least that can be guided um and we can distill down what they're thinking so that we come up with a unified vision yeah and i mean again it's like as business owners if you just go with your gut, which is what you said the whole time, you might save yourself <laughs> from having to fire people and fire clients. Absolutely. Um, I mean, and it's even tricked me sometimes. Like we start off with these great plans with these clients for events and weddings, and then they become um, confused <laughs> mainly because of family dynamics. And so typically we can work through them every once in a while we can't and we have to part ways and it's don't take it personal. Um, it's just, it is what it is. And like, frankly, some people are just flat out rude and I'm not going to tolerate it. Um, it's like, we're all people and we all need to be valued in some shape, form or fashion. And like, you're not going to talk to my team. Like they're like worse than I would talk to my dogs. Like we're not doing that. <laughs> So. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there definitely has to be trust and respect. And, you know, that's built over time. Uh, but if you see a pattern of um, people not trusting you and not respecting you, then it's probably not a good relationship to be in. And move on. And that's okay. And move on. That's it. <laughs> that's what you got to do. And I mean, sometimes there's other factors, like I would imagine in your industry, you know, people were under ex extreme pressure and, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a very emotional decision to get married. So uh, I would guess that you're a master at managing those types of relationships over the yeah. years. We've had to become very patient. 
Um, yeah, very patient, but I always remember like, it's not about me. It's about them. And how can I always put my feet in their shoes and communicate it the way they need to hear it? But sometimes they just aren't hearing it. And so we have to part ways, (laughs) but it's not always fun. (laughs) But Judy, if people want to connect with you, where can they connect with you and where can they learn more about Rep Interactive and the amazing things that you all produce? If they want to connect with me personally, LinkedIn's a great place. They can just look up Judy Gatina. Um, if they want to connect with our company, then repinteractive.com would be a great place. And they can find lots of work, uh, our work on there, as well as YouTube. That's awesome. Yeah, I would say, like, if guys, connect on their YouTube channel on Rep Interactive. And if you just go look at the website and look at all these amazing productions they do, it's just, again, I'm a huge video person. So it is, um, I can definitely appreciate all the work that goes in behind the scenes. So Judy, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story. And I even learned a a few new things too. (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Of course. And guys, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Business Unveiled. And everybody have a great day. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. And I'm so very grateful if you leave a review. Be sure you are a subscriber so you never, ever miss the juicy details of Business Unveiled. Also, be sure that you were part of my email list. And if you're not... Sign up today at AngelaProfit.com, where I share valuable resources and exclusive products with only my subscribers. Now, before I go, I want to ask you, if you have a story or a product to share with the creative industry, please let me know. To be considered as a guest on Business Unveiled, visit AngelaProfit.com and submit a podcast guest form. Until next time, remember to stay productive and profitable. You've been listening to Business Unveiled with Angela Profit. Join us next time as we share our experiences to help you be more productive and profitable in your creative business. For more great resources, visit AngelaProfit.com.